Would you find the Old Testament book of Ezra? We're going to be in Ezra chapters 5 and 6. We're going to begin reading in, verse, in chapter 6, verses 16 through 22. And uh, good to see you today. We're glad that you're here. How about this? The choir is back, and uh, we appreciate them being back. Seemed like the Christmas musical was a long time ago. I guess it wasn't all that long ago, but uh, we appreciate hearing you back from the choir today. And thank you so much, Aaron and uh, Sarah, leading us in worship. And appreciate you being here, coming out and braving the cold. And thank you for being here today. We know that the Lord has great things in store for us as uh, we have gathered here for worship today. Uh, somebody stopped me last week and said this to me. He said, Brother Jeff, you sure must have a lot of people praying for you. And I wasn't sure how to take that at first, I guess. But yes, I certainly need the prayers. And I do have a lot of people praying for me. And I thank you for your prayers because we know that uh, anything good that happens, we know that we depend on trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I often pray the prayer, Lord, by the time it leaves my mouth, we know that you can do anything and hits their ear. May it be what you would have them to hear and uh, in the translation that you understand what God's Word says, how we might be able to apply it today. Today we're in Ezra chapter 6. We're going to be reading uh, verses 16 through 22. Would you stand and honor the reading of God's Word today? Ezra chapter 6, beginning with verse 16, says, The people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem as it is written in the book of Moses. On the 14th day of the first month, they returned to exiles, kept the Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word, and you may be seated. It was perhaps one of the longest weeks of my ministry in 40 plus years of ministry perhaps. It was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I had gone with a group of teenagers to St. Louis, Missouri to, for World Changers. Now World Changers is a Southern Baptist event where about a thousand or more teenagers come into a city and they help to be able to refurbish and paint and roof and do other types of construction uh, yeah, with low-income families, all led usually by contractors and construction type people. I'd been on this type trip before. And we took a group to St. Louis for the World Changers event that was taking place. On this particular day as we come in, as they usually would, they had a meeting with all the adults, one to two hundred adults probably sitting in the room uh, getting ready for the week. And uh, the one in charge, I believe he was a contractor, he said, he said, has anybody here ever helped uh, with put a vinyl siding on a house? We're with one or 200 people. I've got to tell you, this is where I began to learn not to always volunteer. 
but uh, I had helped with vinyl siding before and disaster relief type events once in uh, Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina and once after Katrina uh, in helping to put on church or house. And there we were, and I, and I was sitting kind of toward the front, and I just, without thinking, raised my hand. And, uh, and I realized I was the only one who raised my hand. And uh, the fellow in charge looked at me, and he said, you'll be in charge of that crew. And then I couldn't undo it. No matter what, I could not bring my hand back down. I couldn't erase the last couple of minutes in order to take my hand down. I walked up to him afterwards, and he said, and I told him, I'm just a preacher. He said, I'll be glad to help somebody do it, but uh, be in charge. He said, oh, you can do this. And said, I'll have your crew ready for you. He said, listen, it's so easy even a, he said, it's so easy even a preacher could do it. He didn't say it exactly like that, but that's kind of what I felt like he was saying. So he gave me a crew. Fifteen junior hires was my crew, boys and girls. I did have one other adult. It was another youth director's wife also was on that crew to help put that and I'll spare you all the details but here we were 15 junior hires and myself and uh, in St. Louis Missouri in July 100 degree plus weather it was the longest week of my life I'll just tell you but let me tell you this when it was all finished when we had completed it was great joy and jubilation that we had gotten this thing particular thing uh, completed and during the week we were able to witness and talk to the family that we were helping as well as many of the neighbors that wanted to know why a preacher would be putting vinyl siding with 15 junior high. Now listen, I love junior hires, you understand. And uh, so we were able to do that. There was much joy and jubilation. But I learned a couple of things. Do not volunteer quickly. Many times I've been in meetings and I've sat on my hands. Don't raise your hand. Don't you do it. And I've also learned or the Lord confirmed that the Lord had not called me to work with junior hires full time, but he called me to be preacher, and I've never looked back. And so we're thankful for the Lord and how he uses that uh, as well. Uh, when the Israelites had completed the second temple in Jerusalem that we read about, they worshiped and praised God with all joy, for it had not been easy, but God made them joyful. This group of Israelites who had traveled back to Jerusalem after being exiled for 70 years in Babylon, now with the mission of rebuilding the temple so that they could worship Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one and only, in the manner in which God had intended. There had been obstacles. The work had stopped for 15 years, but now the temple was completed. God used the volunteers and all who were willing to be obedient to Him. It was a relatively small remnant of Israelites that came back on that first return after being exiled. There had been approximately 2 to 3 million, perhaps, Israelites that were living in Babylon, exiled there because of their disobedience. The Jewish people, they had been warned, they'd been prophesied that if they continued to be disobedient, that a foreign nation would come and conquer them and would carry them off into exile, and also had been exiled that they would return and that they would rebuild the temple that had been burned and destroyed. Of the two million in exile, less than 50,000 made the decision to return to help build the temple. And now after uh, uh, some opposition, only a remnant were involved in the construction of the new temple. Now we're going to explore the question this morning. Why would you volunteer? Why would you want to be faithful and obedient to what God would ask you to do? May it, maybe today you're on the edge of faithfulness and commitment. You're a believer, but you're deciding if you'll be a sold-out disciple of Jesus. Or instead, you'll be what sometimes we might refer to as a nominal Christian. 
follower of Jesus. Uh, in the Christian faith, it's paramount for believers to walk with and grow in Christ, the very one who saved us, loved us unconditionally, continues to love us, and gives us hope. Our passage today with the Lord's guidance could change your walk and your commitment to go beyond the nominal, beyond the normal, but to something truly spectacular. Today, you may be on the outside looking in. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You may be wondering, really, what that means. What does it mean to have a Christian walk or to have Jesus in your heart? If that's true of you, you have an opportunity today to take a peek and to be able to look in and to see what it means to walk with Jesus. And maybe today you might be able to ask Jesus to walk with you, to be your Savior and Lord, to walk with you the rest of your life and have the assurance uh, and the certainty of a home in heaven because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross and because of the resurrection. Be ready because if this is you today, if you don't know Christ, you're on the outside looking in, the Lord will not leave you alone today and you will need to make the decision and you can decide for Jesus today. Now also today, if you're, if you're rocking along pretty good in your walk with Christ, you're growing in Him, seeking to every day to live for Him, this may be a day that you want to be convinced why you do what you do and when something comes along to get you off course, you'll be persuaded with the Lord's help to stay in it, to continue to fight the good fight of faith. Our church roles in many churches are filled with names of people who at one time said, or they thought to themselves, they're faithful members of a church. Nothing would keep them away. Or those who have walked close, close to the Lord and daily walked in a growing relationship with Jesus, and they would have never faltered or fallen away. They thought, and still may be believers today, but at best they have instead become nominal disciples of Jesus. Can we say about this passage... And about every passage of the Scripture, there's something here for everyone. You've got your notes. You might want to follow along with us. Also be on the screen. But why do you do what you do as a follower of Jesus? Or why do we do what we do as a church? Let's take a look at the Scriptures today. You've got your Bibles open. We're going to be a little bit in chapter 5, a little bit in chapter 6, a little bit in the New Testament. We'll put those on the screen for you. But let's talk about, if we're going, why would you do what you do? How about this? Because he who has all authority in heaven and on earth said so. Because he who has all authority said so. Didn't your parents ever tell you? Hadn't you ever said it to your kids when they've asked why? Because I said so. And in truth, maybe that should be enough. We're also, though, going to be given many other reasons and motivations. But if God said it, that should be enough. Maybe we have all felt like the Israelites once felt the remnant who came back from Babylon to Jerusalem and they were going to rebuild the temple. In fact, you might want to look again, Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And let me just remind you of a couple of verses. We looked at these before. It says, Then the people of the land, Ezra chapter 4 and verse 4, Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. All of us have been discouraged. All of us have been afraid or we've been frustrated sometime in our Christian walk. I'll say this. If you've never experienced any of these, 
Chances are that you've never done much to seek to follow the Lord Jesus or have not, or not tried to be faithful to Him. We're trying to learn from Scripture how we might be able to keep on keeping on even when the going gets tough. I sincerely believe with the proper motivation we can become more faithful followers of Jesus. Now, the work on the temple had been stopped for over 15 years because of the intimidation Push back and even the threats from other people who were living in the land of Judah at that time. But it was the word of the Lord that caused them to start to work again. And God used his prophets, namely the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah, to tell the people it was time to get back to work. Yes, Haggai and Zechariah, they're uh, some of the books of the Bible, what we call the minor prophets, not because they were not important, simply because that they had smaller books and just a few chapters, and they were living and working during this time of Bible history. And I want you to get used to, because probably in coming days we're going to talk even more about the things that happened, like with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and many of the prophets, of course, that uh, lived during the time leading up to the exile, during the exile, and after the exile. But let me read to you from Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. You can read along or listen Haggai writes this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. It is a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the houses lie in ruins. Skip down to verse 14 of Haggai chapter 1. It says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, and the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, your God. When the work of the temple of the Lord had not been completed, the Lord sent these prophets to tell Israel, You've been rebuilding your own houses during this time, but you've let the house of God lie in ruins. It's time to get back to work and to rebuild the temple, which was the original reason in which they had come back to Jerusalem. They were there so that they might be able to rebuild the temple. At least for a time, they had forgotten their mission. Now, the Word of God, along with the Spirit of God, stirred up the people, the remnant, to begin to rebuild. Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says this. Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. Now, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah... The son of Edu prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Don't you love it when the Word of God works together? We know that it all does, but I love it we can point. Look what Haggai said. Look what the people began to do in the book of Ezra and the things that were are happening there. Here was Zerubbabel. He's the grandson of King David. He's become the leader at this time. He's now the governor of Judah. And then Jeshua, also called Joshua, not the same Joshua that followed Moses that brought him into the promised land, but another fellow by the same name. He was the high priest. He says, and the prophets were with them, and they began to be rebuilt. Haggai, that we read a moment ago, lets us know that the remnant of the people also joined in and they were doing what God had called them to do because God said so. Now, what is it 
that you're doing today or what is it that you're not doing today that God has called you to do? Now, if you don't know or you need to know what you need to do, well, God has sent his prophets. He's also sent 40 Bible writers who were inspired, God-breathed, in order that we might be able to have the message of what it is that we need to be doing. Almost every time that we get together in the name of Jesus, almost every time certainly we get together on Sunday morning or you're in Bible study in Sunday school or Bible studies, you are encouraged to listen, to read, and to heed God's holy word. The Israelites were to rebuild the physical temple, but it really had to do with the fact that they needed to rebuild a relationship with God, both individually and as a group. They needed to build up a spiritual house. We're almost always doing something to refurbish our facilities around here. We've come a long way. We've still got things, of course, that we're going to be doing First and foremost, it is a tribute to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, anything that we do. But it's never just to enjoy ourselves. We do feel better, I think, as a church when the building is looking good and things are looking nice. But truly what we want to do is we want to give our very best to the Lord Jesus. We want to be part of God's purposes and use in ways so that other people might be able to know Jesus and grow in, in, grow in Christ as well. But the parallel... So rebuilding the temple for us is not just taking care of God's church or building another building. The parallel is for you and I to become much more like Jesus so that we might be used for building his kingdom. We want to improve our relationship with Jesus so that we might exalt his name and so that other people might know him as well. Do you remember that the, Jesus said often to, the, to many of the disciples, follow me? What did the disciples do? They got up and they followed him at the word of Jesus because he said so. It's incentive enough, but there's more. Ezra chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 reads like this. Ezra chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, At the same time, Tetanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and other associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you the decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building this house? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Here are some names that are hard for us to pronounce, but these are Persian officials or governors of the land of the surrounding regions. And they came and they used intimidating tactics, even trying to bully the Israelites, in order to stop building the temple. Who said you could build this house? What proclamation, what edict is there that said you could build this house? Give me the names of everyone that is building. Now listen, that one that uh, certainly is thought to be intimidating, we're taking names of everybody that's building because we're going to tell on you. We're going to tell on you to the king of Persia. Well, saying we'll see what he has to say about this. It's estimated in the amount of time that it takes for a letter to go in those days from Jerusalem to Babylon and to return letter to come back was four to five months. Now, how long does it take for you to email or to text and to get a return response? Well, it all depends on whether they actually want to talk to you or not, doesn't it? 
But talk about snail mail that was taking that was taking place here. Four or five months, but the work did not stop during those four or five months. This time, they were ready to do the work regardless of the opposition. Why is that? Well, we read it just a moment ago. Verse 5, look at the very first part of that. What does it say? But the eyes of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and the work did not stop. The eye of God, singular, the eye of God, but it represents the protection and the provision that God provides. Do you know that God has not always promised us physical protection, not even to faithful believers? But we can be reassured that He is always watching over us. How about this? Jesus said it. It was a hymn that came out in 1905. Ethel Waters used to sing it. Whitney Houston and many, many others have sung it as well. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know that he watches me. You who are in Christ, watch the motivation. You who are in Christ have the eyes of God or the eye of God and the Holy Spirit on you. For all who are followers of Jesus, just like God's people in the Old Testament who at work in the temple, you can know God is watching. It is our best incentive. And it is not that God is watching and waiting you to make a misstep, to get out of line, to sin. But God is watching to give you encouragement, to help you to persevere. God wants you to be faithful to Him because of His action, not because of His reaction. And we have what not all people had who were even people of God in the Old Testament. We have because of the one whom Jesus sent that we know at Pentecost. We have the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, who is living in each one of us, all who have given their life over to Jesus. All believers have the Holy Spirit, sometimes called the Spirit of Jesus, in and on us. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. That is incentive. Much more than it is a reprimand. Jesus called the Holy Spirit our guide and our comforter. He is to be our encouragement that we're part of the family of God. And we can, with His help, be a usable vessel for God. I, I really think if you pay attention, you're going to love this part of Ezra. Uh, I may not be able to express it adequately this morning. But there's something inside of us that wants to be a part of what God is doing, wants to be able to see how God is working, maybe even sometimes behind the scene. We want to get a glimpse of what God is doing, and we want to be a part of it. The Persian officials followed through with their threat of telling the king and asking the king to make a decision of whether they could keep on building. They told the king that they asked the Jews why they were building. Now, I'm pausing here because I want you to be able to understand what we're about to read because they're reporting to the king, the Persian officials are reporting what the Jewish people said. But the amazing part of it, it begins in Ezra chapter 5 and verse 11, but the amazing part of this is that they said it correctly. They didn't embellish, they didn't lie about what they said, they said it correctly. But let's look at Ezra chapter 5 and verse 11 and following. It says, and this was their reply... This is what the Israelites told the Persian officials. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth that we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. Talking about Solomon's temple. Verse 12 says, But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean who destroyed this house, carried away the people to Babylonia. 
However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. And the gold and the silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered to one whose name was Sheshbazzar, whom he made governor. And he said to him, Take these vessels, go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Verse 16 says, Then this Sheshbazzar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now it has not, it has been in building, and it is not yet finished. Well, this makes for a great summary of what happened to the Israelites, how they were taken into exile, and now they've come back to rebuild the temple. But notice verse 11. When asked, why are you doing this? The first things out of their mouth was, because we are servants of the God of heaven and earth. Emphasis on the thee. God, the one and only. In these verses, you can actually see a testimony of the New Testament salvation of one who has come to know Jesus. I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was a sinner. I was exiled because of sin. I was away from God, but because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, now I have been set free. Now I have been taken to a new place. I am a new creature in Christ. And now, because of what Christ has done for me, I'm able to do the work of the Lord. And this is the difference that Jesus has made in my life. Why do you do what you do? Because He has saved you from sin and judgment. And He wants you to tell. He saved you from the sin and judgment and He wants you to tell. One of, one of the best things about traveling on a mission trip, and we're talking about mission trips two or three times here as examples because the Israelites were on a mission trip from Babylon to Jerusalem. But one of the best things about traveling on a mission trip is you're there for a particular purpose. You know what you're going to do most of the time and want to be used by God. And depending on how far you've gone or where you are, there's going to be somebody that's going to ask you the question, why are you here and why have you come? And if you know how to answer that question, whether you're on a mission trip or wherever you are, hopefully because of the difference that Jesus makes in your life, you can always be ready because you want to be able to answer that question. It's because of Jesus. It's because of the difference that Jesus has made in my life. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing what we're doing, whether we're on a foreign mission trip, short term, or whether you're in your community or in your home or wherever you may be. The Israelites were on mission. They had traveled far to complete God's mission. They were able to tell. And not only were they able to tell others, it changed other people's lives and their life as well. Notice verse 16 said, The job is not yet finished. They must continue until the Lord calls you home. Until He returns, the job is not yet finished. You must keep doing the work God has called you to do because it's not complete until all the world knows. You remember when uh, Peter and John were arrested for the healing of a lame man and preaching about Jesus? And they said, they reprimanded them, said, You can't speak about Jesus anymore. Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. It says, but Peter and John answered them whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God. You must judge, but we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I received two snail mail letters uh, this year, probably more than that, but two snail mail letters about our mission trips. 
One was from a man that we had met or some folks had met on a mission trip and sent a letter to the church and thanking us for coming to the place. And particularly had two young boys who'd come to one of the events and he wrote with appreciation for the work that we did and he called one of our workers by name and thanked that worker for the Christ-like example and impression that person made on his two boys. The other was from one of our workers who went with our church on the, on the very first mission trip for them. And I quote in the letter, it says, The experience left an indelible impression on me. I returned with a renewed zeal to reach others for Christ. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, simply be ready to tell your story. The Israelites told their story, those who heard it. Those who were in opposition told it to the king. And King Darius searched the previous king's edicts and proclamations and came across the proclamation made by King Cyrus to send the Israelites. Now, I, I think this is the part here you're really going to like, but watch what King Cyrus did. Ezra uh, chapter 6 and verse 6. Ezra chapter 6 and verse 6 says this, Now therefore, Tetanai, governor of the province beyond the river, can I just call this guy SB, SB, and your associates, the governors, who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Now remember, this is the officials in the provinces around Jerusalem and they're opposing the fact that here are these Israelites, they're rebuilding the temple. They send to the king of Persia and the king of Persia says, you just keep away. Then look at verse 7. Ezra chapter 6 and verse 7. Let the work on this house, excuse let the work on this house of God alone let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Let them rebuild, the king of Persia says. Verse 8, Moreover, I will make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. You governors and you officials, when you pick up your taxes, you need to go give it to those who are rebuilding the temple of God, says this foreign Persian king. Wait, that's not all. Verse 9, Ezra chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, sheep, or burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priest at Jerusalem require, let there be given to them day by day without fail. Whatever is required. Every day, whatever they have as their daily needs, you need to be sure, the king of Persia says, to take care of these very things. And uh, read what happens if they did not do what the king said. Just for emphasis, I'm not going to read it aloud. It'll be on the screen or in your, verse 11. Ezra chapter 6 and verse 11. Now, what do you think they did? Verse 13, Ezra chapter 6 and verse 13 says, Then, according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tetanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, S.B., and their associates, they did with diligence all that the king had ordered. I bet they did, though they didn't like it. You who are in Christ... Have Jesus, the Almighty God and Savior, I call him Jesus, T-A-G-S, my acronym for the Almighty God and Savior, interceding on your behalf. 
We're told over and over again, right now, Jesus is interceding, speaking up for you who are children of the Most High God. You know what the Bible tells us about angels? It says that angels are always watching the face of the Lord. We think of guardian angels watching over us. No, no. They're watching the face of the Lord so that when the Lord says go, when the Lord says do something on our behalf, any believer's behalf, the angels are ready to do all that God says. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34 says this, Who is to condemn? Romans 8 begins, says, There is therefore no condemnation in Christ. He says, So who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Oh, God's always at work. You remember the story of Joseph, of course. and He's just a great example. Brother sold him into slavery. We know that God was with him. He ended up being, of course, in charge. Became the brothers in Israel's Savior as such in a physical manner. Last chapter in Genesis, verse 20, says this. Joseph is speaking, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Always God means it for good. That's the last chapter of Genesis. Very last chapter of Acts. Apostle Paul, you know, has been arrested. He's been taken to Rome. And this is, Acts almost doesn't have an ending, it seems. But the very last two verses says, He, talking about Paul, lived there two whole years as his own expense, welcomed to all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, even as he was being arrested. Last chapter of Acts says that very thing. You know what the last chapter of Revelation says? Jesus speaks second to the last verse, and he says this, Behold, I am coming soon. He is always at work. Trust that Jesus is at work in the good and the bad. He's working for you. He's rooting for you. Ezra chapter 6. Let's read verses 14 and 15. Everybody still okay? Verse 14 says this. We started with 16 a moment ago, but verse 14 says, And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet, Zechariah the son of Edu. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel, uh, and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the fourth, excuse me, third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. All of these chapters having to do with the preparations of the things that happened, two verses tell us the fact that now we find that the work is complete. But then they're going to worship and rejoice. Maybe it would help you. I don't want to bore you with this, but I do want to... Some of the famous kings that are mentioned in Ezra, many of them are mentioned right here in these verses. There's Nebuchadnezzar. You've heard that name. He's the one that captured Jerusalem. He's the Persian king, burned the temple... Sister, the Israelites, uh, or excuse me, exiled the Israelites back to Babylon. He was the one that put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Cyrus the Great is mentioned. He defeated Nebuchadnezzar. He's the Persian king. But he gave the orders for the Israelites to begin to return. Artaxerxes is mentioned here. Nehemiah was his cupbearer. He's the one who helped Nehemiah rebuild the wall. And then there's Darius, who's the king of Babylon. You might remember he's the one that put Daniel in the lion's den. And here's the, one of the reasons I want to mention this, because here's a Darius we're reading back about, but he's the king of Persia. He's a different Darius that comes along. 
And he's the one who then allowed Israel to rebuild the temple, gave them everything that they needed in order the temple might be able to be rebuilt. Here are the kings, all foreign kings. Some debate if any of these actually became true worshiper of Israel's God, the one and only. But they were used by God. Some unknowingly to complete his purpose. God works in ways we know not of. Today on the Temple Mount, where this temple was completed, is the Dome of the Rock. We've got a picture, I think, of the Dome of the Rock, one of the most recognizable buildings in Jerusalem. It is an Islamic shrine. It's the oldest Islamic architecture in the world. It sits dead center of the one-time Temple Mount. I think we've got an aerial view kind of help you. So it sits there on the one-time Temple Mount. Just so you know, Solomon built a temple, son of David. Large temple, splendor, uh, uh, very, uh, uh, with much splendor recorded in the Bible and many other historical documents. It was burned and destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Approximately 100 years later, the second temple was built. This is what we're reading about in Ezra. Not as grand, but about 500 years later, 400 years later, King Herod the Great added to the temple. He completed it in 1 B.C. Okay, are you hanging with me? Because you might remember the disciples were looking at Herod's temple, which is really just a continuation of this second temple that was built in Ezra. And the disciples said, look at the grandeur of the temple, talking about its magnificence. Then Jesus said, this temple will be torn down, and in three days I will raise it up. And of course, three days he was talking about his resurrection. But approximately 40 years later, we know that there was the invasion that came in and it was destroyed. Now in its place is a false religion's shrine. Today, I had planned to be standing in Jerusalem in front of the Dome of the Rock. But because of the war that has taken place, many other members here also were going to be standing in that very place. It was in January, 41 years ago, that I stood in front of the Dome of the Rock. In January, maybe to this very day, I don't, can't tell you for sure about that. And in those days, you could go in to the Dome of the Rock. But today, only Muslims can go in and not all of them. And I wanted to find out if it's all truth. You still cannot go in. Inside is the rock, has many traditions, but one of those is that this is the rock that Abraham sacrificed Isaac. Now we could look at this shrine and sign sadness of what is at the temple today, at the temple site. Jesus said it would be destroyed, and then he said, I will raise it up. And from Jesus, and from the 11 disciples, and from the group of people that continue today that are called the church, the work of the building, God's, the building of God's temple of living stones has not been stopped. It continued and will until he comes again. You want to be a part of what God is doing because he who has all sovereign power cannot be stopped. The Lord's put something inside of us that causes us to want to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves, that will have lasting value and everlasting ramifications. Luke chapter 1 and verse 37 and part of the Christmas story, we have the words, For nothing will be impossible with God. Ah, do you believe it to be true? It is incentive enough. What better reason to trust and to walk faithfully? 
The result is influence on others. When the temple was complete, they worshipped. They had the first Passover in the new temple. We read about it a moment ago in Ezra chapter 6. Notice verse 21. Let's just read part of it again. It says, It was eaten, speaking of the Passover, by the, by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Because the people did what God had wanted them to do, other people, neighbors, became believers and God worshipers. Hey, what we're doing here, it's not just for us. We want to reach new people. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're looking for a church home, we invite you to join us even if you're already a follower of Jesus because you want to be a part of helping to reach new people for Christ as we exalt the Lord Jesus. We invite you to join us, not just to have a place to come on Sunday, but to join in on our mission. Notice with me, if you would, verse 22. Ezra Chapter 6 and verse 22, it says, They kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful. The strange part of the chapter. Turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work in the house of God, the God of Israel. Didn't that seem strange as I first read that? King of Assyria, well, that was nice that he was watching also. But then I realized the king of Persia had conquered Assyria and all of the known land that was taking place. And the king that is being, whose heart turned to them, was Darius. The one that we've been talking about all along as well. Yeah, I say all this to say, you can recognize that God is at work today. And continues to be at work. And you who are in Christ have access and opportunity to his wonder-working power. If you're on the edge of faithfulness. So believe in the Lord Jesus, but either maybe you've been far away and need to be brought close. Oh, what motivations, what incentive we have to be able to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because of the work that He is doing that is beyond expectations, beyond anything that we could ask, think, or imagine. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus and you're growing in Christ, there's going to come a time that you may think, well, I may not be quite as close because of some of the things that are happening in my life or in the world today. Let me encourage you to cling even closer because of the tough times that may come and because of the difficulties that may come your way. And today, if you're on the outside looking in, you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. I want to encourage you today, even from this story that we've read today, that you know that you can give your heart and life to Jesus. Holy Spirit will come into your life. He'll give you a home in heaven, and He'll change your everyday life and your purpose for living and give you a mission of being able to serve with Him. Let's bow together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to join you in worship today. We thank you that you have built this temple of the living God in our hearts and along with others in what is called the kingdom of God. And Father, we pray and thank you that we're a part of it. We pray that we may be usable vessels for you. Continue to give us great motivation. Remind us of who you are and what you've done. And Father, we pray for those who may not know you as Lord and Savior today, that today might be the day of salvation, or that we may run into those people who don't know you, as we know that we will. May they see the difference that Christ makes. May we be ready to tell our story as well. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand?
We're going to be singing our song of commitment today. Encourage you to follow the Lord's direction in your life. Here's what you can do during this time. You can commit yourself to continue to follow the Lord Jesus personally between you and the Lord. If you need to make something public today, you need to come giving your heart and life to Jesus. Maybe you already have, but you've not made it public. You need to come for baptism. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We encourage you to join. I'm going to be down at the front. Brother Bobby's going to be here as well. You come and join us today and just say, I want to join Parkway Baptist Church, and we'll tell you the next steps from there. Altar is open if you'd like to come and pray. Uh, as we sing today, you come.